Unwrap your gift now, but pay later. Right now at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Put no money down, no payment, and no interest for up to 18 months. Our elves work year-round, installing in as little as a day. Offer ends December 31st. Visit PellaWI.com. Jeff Wagner's 25-year career at WTMJ comes to an end. For the rest of the year, dive back in the archives with us as we bring you the best of Jeff Wagner throughout his career. You're listening to the best of Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, obviously continuing coverage of the mass shooting in Las Vegas. President Trump scheduled to address the nation in about a half hour or so. We will bring that to you live as well as continuous updates. This is, at times like this, we, we use this forum, sort of an electronic town hall, your chance to offer your thoughts as to what's going on. I, I think this hits home for a lot of people, again, because many, many people travel to Las Vegas. You're familiar with the area. Perhaps you have friends or family members who are either living in Las Vegas or are visiting Las Vegas now. Um, this raises a number of these continuing questions that we have as to, in a free society, I mean, how, how do you balance th- this this out? I mean, apparently you have 64-year-old man, and these are the reports, um, no criminal history at all, living in a $400,000 home in a retirement community about an hour and a half outside of of Las Vegas, no criminal history, no social media presence at all, no apparent political agenda, nothing like that, who three days ago checks into the Mandalay Bay Hotel, somehow brings in an arsenal of weapons on our text line. Somebody does raise an interesting point. Um, Harry in Waukesha says, I'm surprised that housekeeping didn't see anything in the shooter's room, which is, of course, a, a very, I mean, a very fair question. We don't know. Had the guy been there for three days and then just brought all these this firepower up um, at once? Did he have the do not disturb sign on? I mean, I think these are, again, fair questions and more details will emerge. But I want to use at least the first segment of the program as an electronic town hall, your opportunity to just, uh, again, weigh in on any aspect of this story that you want. Let's start with Tom in the Wisconsin Dells. Tom, good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. What a horrible situation, huh? Yeah, we run a venue here in Wisconsin Dells that seats about 2,000 people. And, you know, it's interesting. We just had a band that's a larger band that's used to touring and doing a lot of uh, larger uh, venues than what we have. And so they're asking for, you know, are you are you checking everybody? Are you putting them through the whole security thing? And I, we're here in Wisconsin Dells. So we're in the middle of nowhere. And, and But now you look at this and you think, Okay, we we need to step everything up that we have, and and it's it's sad, but but it is just the environment we live in. Well, see, and, and I think what's so so scary about this, Tom, is at a at a venue, at, at a facility, indoor or, or outdoor, at least there's some degree of control. I mean, I'm thinking about, for example, Alpine Valley. You know, sure. you have you know you have you know entrance points and exit points, and you have guards and you have security detectors, metal detectors, and things like that that people have to pass through. This was right. pretty much a street festival, but again, you had somebody from outside the venue who was able to get up high and was able to, again, in this case, shoot down. And from your perspective, it's got to be scary as heck. How do you guarantee people's safety? Right. And we're also in the process of doing more outdoor events in Wisconsin Dells. And so this brings it to a whole new level on how you you approach something like this. Do you think this is the – and again – 
you know, you, you want to talk about these situations as being isolated, but at the same time, it, it seems like we, we had the Pulse nightclub shooting, you know, not, not that long ago. You, you seems like there's more and more things like this. Are you concerned that this is going to cause more people to perhaps rethink whether they're going to go to large events like this because of, of a fear of being out in the public? Yeah, that, that, that is yet to be seen. Yeah, <laughs> so, no. yeah but uh, thanks for all you no. do, Jeff. I really appreciate uh, th- it. Thanks for the call, Tom. And I'm sure this is, I mean, this is, this is, it's, it's an absolute nightmare scenario on, on so many different levels. Let's talk to um, Dave in Oak Creek. Dave, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, very good morning. Um, just a little personal note. Uh, my kids got married on Saturday and they left yesterday oh. late afternoon for Vegas. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and uh, they had uh, put something on Facebook like late, late last night, early this morning, and you know I didn't have a chance, or I'm not I'm not on Facebook that much, right? And so I'm hearing this news and I'm freaking out. Yeah, and um, finally, I just as literally as we were uh, wait, I was waiting on hold. I did get a call from them, oh. letting letting me know that they're okay. Wow. Where were uh, um, where were they supposed to stay? Do you know? I don't. Um, okay. I don't know. It's like one of those things where all I want to hear is your voice, and I right. want to hear you're okay. Right. Everything else is irrelevant. Right. I mean, you got to imagine, Dave, that there are tens of thousands of of people who are exact, maybe hundreds of thousands of people who are in exactly that situation you're in this morning. All you know is your kids, your your brother, whatever is in Vegas, you know, exactly. for a celebration. Wow. No, it's. And, uh, no, just uh, you know, and they were in their lift ride, and they were diverted right. around that because they they said something. They realized something was going on. They didn't know what it was, right? But so they drove right past, or would have driven right through that area where that was occurring, right? To get to their uh, hotel. Yeah. But just as a, a note, you know, I, I understand. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that, like myself, that aren't really tuned into social media. And so if you got family out there and just let them know that give somebody a call. You yeah. know? <laughs> no, no, ab- ab- no, absolutely. No, no, thanks. We were I, I I will tell you, we were I, I mean I, I said this earlier, I got married on Friday and um Las Vegas is one of my very favorite places. We I, I considered we were gonna go on a formal honeymoon like in, in February. But in one of the places we, we were my, my wife and I were in Las Vegas late March, early April. We had a wonderful time. And actually, one of the things we, we thought about is, hey, maybe go out, let's just go out there for a couple of days or whatever. And, and ultimately just decided, you know, no, we're, we're going to stay closer to home. And but we could have easily we, we could have easily been there. And that's a situation I know that a, a lot of people are, are in. And I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of people in your situation, Dave, who just are, are waiting to hear, you know, where, where were you? You know, what what's going on? Are, are you OK? So I think you're, you're absolutely right. Let's talk to Jackie in Kenosha. Jackie, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. I just wanted to really a, a comment that I went to last April. I went to Louisville, uh, Thunder Over Louisville, which is the kickoff ceremony, the fireworks, for the Kentucky Derby. Okay. And I stayed on the Indiana side of the river, actually. And I was with someone who had been there for many years. We went there. All of the high-rise hotels, even on the Indiana side, Homeland Security had them buckled down. You couldn't go in there if you weren't a guest. Mm -hmm. They checked everyone's IDs throughout the day, just along the river. And this was, like, until midnight. 
people were there at 9 a.m. So midnight. Homeland Security was a huge presence. Bomb dogs, the whole bit. On the other side of Louisville. Where where was Homeland Security for a venue this large? Well, I, but I guess I mean part of the problem, Jackie, is is you obviously you know you were there right before the Kentucky Derby. So you know when you have if it's Indy five hundred, if it's a Kentucky Derby, it's the Super Bowl, whatever. You you have that that heightened security because you think okay th- these are going to be these are going to be targets. Maybe somebody would would disrupt the Kentucky Derby. This was a Sunday night in Las Vegas. I mean, I don't mean to downplay it. I mean, this was a it was a big street festival, but they have these type of concerts all the time. This was sort of a routine thing. I guess the question becomes, can you is it practical to have that type of security that you were talking about 24/7 for, you know, 365 days a year? Well, this this fireworks show is the kickoff. So yeah. this goes on for over 2 weeks. Yeah. You know, so it's like, where are we putting our money? You know, maybe we could just do with a little less Homeland Security at fireworks two weeks before the Kentucky Derby and put a little, give the, give the police officers the right to carry into these venues if they've got the ID. Yeah. No, thanks for calling. I mean, again, I, I you know, and again, I'm, I'm sure later on we're going to be talking about, you know, guns and things like this and, and, you know, more guns, less guns, the answer. In this particular situation, I mean, having people armed in the venue in this situation wouldn't have made any difference. You had this guy perched on the 32nd floor, you know, with, with heavy-duty weaponry who was shooting down on this, and it wasn't until the police were apparently able to kick in the door and confront him that he ended up taking his own life in what turns out to be a mass murder-suicide which I mean I don't mean to be flip about this but you know just if, if you're going to kill yourself kill yourself why why do you decide to try to kill as many other people as possible all right let's take a quick break we will talk about specific aspects of this as we move through the morning but right now and any of your thoughts do you have friends or family in Las Vegas have you heard from them this is Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ hi Jeff this is Joe Shalfa congratulations for your well-deserved retirement thank you for being that rational warm and comfortable voice from Milwaukee for all these years. Not only were you a great colleague, but also one of the kindest, most generous people I've ever met. I hope there are many holes in ones for you as you enjoy this next chapter. There we go. Welcome back. So very glad to have you with us. Okay. Drag shows. Does everybody know what a, what a drag show is? Drag shows are where you have performers who dress up as members of the opposite sex and perform. Um, it's, in, in, I, I have been to, yes, I have been to drag shows, some very entertaining ones, Key West, um, Las Vegas, and you know, typically you'll have it, it's male performers who dress up as fe- in, uh, female singers. Uh, Barbara Streisand, you know, notably you'll have people who do Barbara Streisand, Liza Minnelli, um, Bette Midler, you know, the, the list goes on. But it's very, very interesting, and it's guys that are pretend, that are that are dressed up like the, these characters, and and I I will acknowledge um, there there's a, a high degree of entertainment with this. I mean, it's the ones that I have been to, and I am not a regular attendee at this. But like I say, I've been to one in Las Vegas, I've been to one in Key West, and it's 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 entertaining. Now, one of the things you see these aren't these aren't strip shows. That it's nothing like that. Um, they usually involve uh, either the people singing. Or lip syncing and dancing, the performers are, are dressed in drag, which is you know an exaggerated and highly stylized impersonation of, of the opposite sex. Okay, so 
that's that's what these typical shows are. And I think I, I mean I have no problem with people attending these, particularly adults. All right, here's where it gets interesting. Madison East High School was planning on staging a student organized drag show. Um, it was originally scheduled for next week. It has now been canceled. Now, the school says it's been canceled because of safety concerns. In addition to an abundance of supportive messages regarding the event, the Madison School District says they've also received several messages that have raised a number of safety concerns for this student-led event. And the district spokesperson says, without question, the safety of all our students, staff, and families must be our top priority. Therefore, due to these recent safety concerns, we have decided to postpone this event to a later date. Now, I don't know. What, what safety concerns that they're talking about. And if there were crazies out there that were making threats and things like that, well, that's that, there's no place for that. And if there were actual threats and things like that, you, you bring law enforcement in. But this that kind of misses what I think is the conversation that you need to have, which is, is this type of show and is this type of performance, is it appropriate to be staged at a, a high school? Now, something that might be appropriate to go see in Las Vegas or go see in downtown Milwaukee or go see in Key West and things like that with professional performers, that, that, that's, that's one thing. It's another thing to say, okay, is this appropriate for a high school? Just like when you're staging, I think, any sort of performance, whether it's a play or whatever, you're always going to be asking the question, okay, is this subject matter appropriate? And I guess the question becomes, is it appropriate to have high school students dressed in, in drag performing, I don't know, various skits and things like that? Or is that something that is better if it's going to be done, done outside the auspices of the high school or, you know, done, you know, later on when people become adults? I guess my, my take on this, and again, I don't, I don't think the drag shows or the strip shows or, or anything like that, Nevertheless, I do find myself wondering whether this is subject matter which is appropriate for a a student show at at a high school. Is it age appropriate? And I will tell you, it's interesting because we're all over the map. Jeff, it's arts and entertainment, no different than a musical. It lets those students express themselves in a safe environment. Well, okay, is it, I I guess, but are, are there limits? And I, if... Would would you argue, for example, that a burlesque show or a strip show would be appropriate to high school? Now, I, I appreciate that the drag isn't it's not a strip show. It's a different sort of thing. But um, there's lots of stuff that's arts and entertainment. Would we argue for a burlesque show? Jeff, I think it's completely fine as long as the performance has been vetted for appropriate material. Dressing in drag is a form of acting and performance art. You can have explicit drag shows or family-friendly ones, same as any performance. People who are offended need to remember that in early theater, like Shakespeare, men routinely dressed as women. Jeff, I think drag shows are fine. They're entertaining and enjoyable, and the content needs to be tailored to the group who is viewing the show. Jeff, I think it's um, not a good idea to have drag shows in high school. At the same time, though, I'm sure students have seen much worse on TV and can probably uh, opt out of attending or watching the show. But overall, I think I would say no to the idea. Um, Let's see. 
Jeff, if it's extracurricular and not during class time, I say rock on school drag shows. They don't involve nudity or sex. I recommend someone does the song Cuban Pete with maracas and goes chick chicky boom. For goodness sakes, why does a high school even consider having a drag show for their students? Is it educational uh, to know that it might be entertained? It might be entertaining, but it is, I think it's inappropriate for high school, especially a public school that uses our um, our taxes to operate. Jeff, why are some school systems so obsessed with LBGTQ? Well, I think they want to create a welcoming environment. The question is, does that is that what this does? Um, let's talk to, let's see, I'm going to start with Chris in Elm Grove. Chris, you're first. Good afternoon. My thing is, I, personally, I have no problem with drag shows. However, I think this is a prime example of the hypocrisy we deal with in our society today when the left, you know, says something's offensive. I don't know if you remember, it's like a year or two ago, it's either Whitefish Bay or um, Sherwood. They wanted to put on a high school play of To Kill a Mockingbird, and there right. was all this drama because they used the N-word in that play. So I think they did not go through with it. Now, Correct. obviously, yeah. this is going to offend some people as well, having a drag show. So since there's a possibility of offending somebody like they used with that, I mean, I don't think it should happen. Yeah. No, Chris, thanks for that. Interesting point. You're, you, you, you are correct. And this is the, this sort of balancing that we have here. You're exactly right. I, and I believe it was Whitefish Bay. I'm willing to be corrected. Uh, no, I, or Shorewood. It was Shorewood. I'm sorry. I don't mean to pick on Whitefish Bay. It was Shorewood where they were going to perform To Kill a Mockingbird. And you, you had this, at least uh, certain groups that were outraged about this because of some of the language and the nature of uh, the, the nature of the Mockingbird story. And so the, the public performances, I think, ended up getting canceled, and they, they had it on a very limited basis. But that's that's what we wrestle with, which is what is appropriate and what is inappropriate. Jeff, my problem is deciding that this is called and dedicated only to drag. If a kid wants to dress in drag and perform in a musical or a talent show, I I would support this. Jeff, newsflash, this stuff is going on in grade schools all the way down to first grade and kindergarten with the knowledge of school boards and led by class teachers. But we don't bear dare to bring up biblical passages against men dressing as women or vice versa. Let's talk to Bill. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Jeff, I have a question for you first. Is this the Madison University High School, the Madison High School on the northwest side of Milwaukee? No, uh, this is Madison East in Madison. Okay, well, I'm the former band director, music director, math teacher over at the other school okay. on the northwest side of Milwaukee, and uh, I heard all this stuff, and I'm going to, like, no, I will extricate myself from that and uh, let the Madison boys do what they want to do. Why do you, I mean, I, I, I take it from your, your tone that you think this is inappropriate for high school. Sir, I'm a music teacher. I am a retired U.S. Navy band music teacher. Mm-hmm. I never had any kind of confrontation or situation like this. It's kind of ridiculous, but hey, they're in Madison. Let them go to Madison. Let them do it in Madison. That's just fine. Leave me out of it. Okay, Bill. Thanks for the call. I I, I appreciate it. I guess I'm I'm <coughs> I'm a little. I, I would have been curious to know 
again from the perspective of a music teacher and stuff what 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 specifically is the do you find it to be inappropriate is it is it appropriate because of the content is it age inappropriate whatever i mean again i my take on this and feel free to to disagree this and you know i, I read some of the objections where people were saying well this is this is an effort by the, the school system to, to groom kids and to, you know, teach kids that the cross-dressing stuff is, is norm, quote-unquote normal, whatever you want to define normal as being. I don't, I mean, I, I don't think it's, I, I don't see it as, as that. I mean, for example, as I told you, I, I've been to, you know, I've I paid money, bought tickets to see some of these, you know, people perform at some of these high-end drag shows. I, I don't. I don't walk out of those drag shows thinking, okay, gee, what I want to do is I, I want to dress up like Barbara Streisand and strut around the stage. That, that's, that's, and it's probably my wife is happy to hear about that. So th- that's, I don't know about the grooming thing. I, I have trouble. I don't necessarily see that. I do think, though, it's always fair to have a comment about, um, again, the, the whole perspective of age appropriate, and that's, that's where where I look at it. Just like I, I wonder whether there's, I mean, clearly there would be some plays that I would argue are, are age appropriate to be staged in, in the high schools. I, I wonder whether there's a need to have the, the drag show that's there. Well, now, of course, if, if you've got parents who want to take their kids to see some entertainment like that and it's on their own time, Okay, that's nobody's going to have any objection to that. I mean, I think that's a decision they make. The issue, though, becomes whether or not you need to give something like this the imprimatur of the school system. Now, backing up, if people were really making threats or there were security concerns, that that's way beyond the pale. That that's not what it's deserved at. Nevertheless, you know, I just when did we get to this stage where it comes to especially when it comes to education whether it's public school education or private school education where do we get to the stage where we we always figure we have to push the envelope with these different sort of school sanctioned events and and maybe if we concentrated more on uh, teaching some of the basics like reading writing and math maybe things would be better and we left the drag shows to I don't know, left them to the, the independent entertainment that's going on around the Madison area. In any event, they're staging the drag show. That is going to occur. We just don't know when the date of it is. Are drag shows grooming? No, I don't think it's that. Are drag shows strip shows? No, it's it's not that. Does drag shows, does it normalize um, this particular, I mean, aspect of the you know LBGTQ community? I, I don't know that it normalizes that. I just question whether or not this entertainment, while clearly appropriate in some contexts, is appropriate for a high school. A 25-year radio career coming to an end. You're listening to the best of Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. My first opportunity to discuss what is going on in Kenosha and in Madison and in other places across the country as a result of what happened on Sunday, the shooting of Jacob Blake. All right. If I had to summarize it at the beginning, here, here is the deal. All right. What is happening now does not help. What is happening now does not help. Now, I think that there are a lot of 
questions that can fairly be asked about the incident and what it caused what caused a police officer to fire into this man's back on multiple occasions all right just like the the George Floyd situation resulted in charges i don't want to prejudge this but it is very difficult for me to understand how that encounter could have raised, risen to the level to give a police officer the justification for shooting somebody in the back on multiple occasions. And and I think I am confident that people will be held accountable. Now, I, I, I don't know. No, nobody is suggesting that there was a firearm in the, that car. If he was reaching for, you know, a loaded assault rifle or something, maybe. And I say maybe that would be justified. But so far, th- there's no evidence to suggest that. And I, I think this is going to turn out to ultimately, unlike perhaps some other instances that have caused protests, I think that it's very difficult for me to understand how this is going to come back to be a justifiable shooting. But but that will play out in, in time. The matter is under investigation. The police officers are suspended for the moment. And I, the sooner we're able to get to the bottom of this, the better. If there are to be charges brought, the sooner the better. Having said all that, what is happening now in the aftermath of the Jacob Blake shooting is inexcusable and does not help the cause. If you have not been following it, there, there is wholesale rioting, arson, and destruction going on, first of all in Kenosha, but also in, in Madison by a relatively small group of people. We're not talking about thousands. We're, we're talking about hundreds. But if you haven't reviewed this, it's, okay, windows at the state capitol vandalized again. You know, people taking to the streets, breaking windows. Um, a number of buildings in Kenosha have been set on fire. Looking at some of the stories, there's a guy who runs a thrift store on 60th Street in Kenosha, set on fire between 10 o'clock and 2.30 a.m. last night. Buildings sustained thousands of dollars of damage, much of which isn't going to be covered by insurance. Cooper's Tavern, that was the bar in Madison where the the Madison riots kind of started um, last June. All right, well, that place was vandalized again. All of its front windows smashed in. Kenosha businesses, again, along 60th Street and 13th Avenue, a furniture store was burned down. You had the, the state building for the Department of Corrections that was burned to the ground. The The list goes on and on. You have a number of other businesses which have had the windows broken out there has been widespread looting you've seen uh, molotov cocktails thrown at various buildings both in kenosha and in madison you've had mom and pop businesses that have nothing at all to do with this police shooting they have been targeted for looting or for burning you have a situation which is just out of control you have the car lot in kenosha where on multiple occasions people have gone and set fire to that people setting fire to um, you know, public vehicles like garbage trucks and things like that. Just a complete and total out of control, in my opinion, response for people who are, I think, not intending to engage in legitimate protest, but rather to engage in lawlessness, vandalism, and in some cases, looting. And my point is, by doing this, the people that participate in this, they hurt the cause. Because I believe there's a lot of people, 
that look at, for example, we, we only have like the 20-second video, but you look at this and you say, all right, th- there's no justification, or it's tough to imagine what the justification could be for this police conduct. Fine, we need to bring the police officer. If he's in the wrong, we need him to bring him to justice. We need to get this investigation out there. But I think you turn off a lot of people who would be otherwise sympathetic when you say, all right, we're just going to allow the mob to go destroy things that have nothing to do, uh, again, destroying people's businesses, destroying these mom-and-pop businesses, breaking windows, whether it's on State Street or in Kenosha, that accomplishes nothing other than to just act out in a moment of, of rage. And then you see some commentators that are trying to, uh, again, just sort of justify this. I was reading one story today. Somebody writes for one of the local newspapers saying, for those worried about property damage, your attention is in the wrong place. Windows, buildings, and cars can all be fixed or replaced, which is easy to say if it's not if not your house that's being vandalized, if it's not your building that's being looted, if it's not your car that is being set on fire. Writer I'm looking at in a local newspaper says, I'm worried about the trauma that people endure when they are subjected to seeing people shot in front of them, which is a fair point, which is a fair point. Yes, you know what? What went on to lead to this? And, and yes, is it unjustified? Well, I think you could probably make that conclusion. But that does not, at least in my opinion, justify all this other stuff. And to simply say windows, buildings, and cars can all be fixed or replaced. Well, tell that to the local business guy who's trying to make a life for himself, trying to provide jobs for the community, trying to survive. We want to have a discussion about the violence. Because, I look, there, there's no way, at least based on what we know, that anybody can, at least at this point in time, defend the, the shooting the other day. All right, And I don't think anybody should be trying to defend that, because unless there's something that I, most of us just can't imagine, I think it's going to turn out to be an unjustified shooting. But this idea that, okay, well, this then justifies the looting, the burning, the arson, I, I just don't buy it. And my belief is, every time you see pictures of that, the general response is, you know, I, I don't want to be part of this group. I, I understand people are upset about this, but, you know, this is just an excuse to engage in violence. And from the perspective of whether it's businesses in Kenosha or, in particular, businesses in Madison that continue, it's the same sort of businesses that continue to be vandalized, at some point in time you're going to have these businesses that say, enough is enough, we're pulling out, and how does that help anybody? This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner's 25-year career at WTMJ comes to an end. For the rest of the year, dive back in the archives with us as we bring you the best of Jeff Wagner throughout his career. You're listening to the best of Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Twelve eighteen, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Scott Walker goes down to defeat a close race, but he ends up losing. So what ended up happening? Stephen Caledonia texts Jeff. I feel like somebody smacked me upside the head. I can't figure it out. Well, I, I here, here's what happened. Walker, Governor Walker has always been polarizing. There, there's no question uh, about it. I don't know that there's anybody out there who, who voted for Tony Evers. What you saw yesterday was a vote against Governor Walker. He's always had the people who are upset about Act 10, don't like the fact that he's a Republican, etc., etc. And there's always been those people that go out and vote against him. In the other elections, 
he was able to do well enough. Not enough of those people came out, and he was able to do well enough in the areas where he was strong to overcome that. That dynamic changed yesterday. Huge turnout in Dane County, almost all of which was a Democrat vote. Good-sized turnout in Milwaukee County, almost all of which was a Democratic vote. And, again, Walker's percentages, and the numbers will come out soon, but, you know, if if he was used to getting 68% in Waukesha and he gets 66%, there was a slight decrease in the Walker vote across the country and that across the state, and that was enough to make the difference given the huge turnout you had in Madison and Milwaukee. That's pretty much the numbers. Let's start with Roger in Greenfield. Hi, Roger. Hi. What do you think? How do you feel today? Um, I was a little stunned. I, I thought that he could have did a better job in the Milwaukee area. He didn't get his message across. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it, it, it's, uh, it's always been, you know, a blue area. And I just think he just didn't come out with a strong enough message. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I, again, th- there were a lot of headwinds here. I, I think, you know, some people are going to attribute the loss to, um, you know, President Trump and the fact that there yeah. might be some fatigue. I, I don't know, other than the fact that I think some people were motivated. I talked to a lady yesterday who, who said she voted against Walker because she wanted to send a message to President Trump. And I, I kind of asked, what, what was that message, and do you think President Trump was going to be listening? But it doesn't matter. That's kind of what the thought process was. So you were surprised yeah. at the results. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I was a little surprised. No, yeah. th- no thanks. For, well, I, I, I mean, I was too. I thought it was going to be close. But at the end of the day, I mean, when you go back and you look at these numbers, that this this was a statewide election that was carried by Milwaukee and and Madison. The turnout was huge, and the the numbers, the proportion, the split was enormous. And Governor Walker, if you look at the map, I mean. 70 to 75 percent of the counties, I don't know how many counties is going to come out that Evers won, 16, 17, 18, somewhere in there. You know, two-thirds, three-fourths of the counties, you know, ended up being Republican. But what happened was the margins that he used to rack up, he, he did slightly less well in a many of these key areas. And that difference, coupled with the huge turnout in Milwaukee and Madison, was too much to overcome. <laughs> Let's talk to David in Mequon. David, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Uh, Yeah, I was a little surprised. I'm obviously extremely disappointed, um, you know, because I certainly didn't want to go back to the Jim Doyle days. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I I think what was really surprising to me was the percentage out of Dane County. I mean, that's just like off the charts, like video game. Right. uh, Overwhelming. And, I do think, uh, I was a little surprised in Ozaki County, where I live in Mequon, uh, that it was a little bit softer yeah. than usual. And I think it's imperative that also the northwest part of the state get more acclimated to people with a conservative view, because that part of the state really doesn't really hear anything as far as conservative uh, talking right. points. And I think that that is a you know, that's why you see so much of a swing in that part of the state, because there really isn't, um, you know, a conservative voice out there to advocate their ideas. And right. Principles well, I, I, thanks to God. Maybe we should maybe be talking about talking to my boss about maybe seeing if we can kind of kind of extend this message throughout the rest of the state, pick up a couple more radio stations or something. Now he does, that's the last thing he wants to hear from me. Um, but but I, I do think you're, you're on to something, David, that, again, 
there there was a slight softening of the numbers. He did well in Ozaki County. He did well in Brown County. He did well in the Fox Valley where he's done before. He did well in Washington and Waukesha counties, but but not well enough to overcome the huge numbers in Milwaukee and, and Dane County. And again, I don't I don't believe that this was a vote gee we love tony evers what it was was it was the the anti-walker folks who've always been out there 46 47 percent of the electorate bolstered by the we hate donald trump and we're going to run out and we're going to vote i also think that one of the reasons for you you do have kind of walker fatigue in a way sometimes it's just people People kind of get burned out with this. And he'd been the governor for eight years. And I mean, I know I, I, I was kind of frustrated because I've talked to people about this over the course of the last several months. If you're a regular listener, you've heard this. And people would say, well, I voted for Governor Walker the last couple times, but I'm not going to vote for him this time because I really wanted there to be a casino in Kenosha. And I'd say, well, OK, why do you really think that's Governor Walker's fault? Well, he didn't push hard enough to get it. And I would say, well, you realize that, for example, the the deal that Jim Doyle signed with the Potawatomi makes it almost impossible legally to have done that. We would have been in lawsuits for five or ten years. The state would have probably lost. I don't care. I wanted the casino in Kenosha. And, And that's I think that's just one of the things that happens when you're in office for a long time, particularly as the governor. You know, you're you're going to irritate people from time to time. What do you think? happened let's talk to larry in kenosha larry on wtmj good afternoon i'm going to tell you why i voted for tony Everts. okay now let me ask you had you voted for walker before or you always, had you always voted against him i would i i voted against him but okay this is, this, okay this, this is why i voted for tony evers he had a plan maybe he didn't like it and i know he still got to get it through the legislature to increase the gas tax okay it and if it would have raised it a dime, it was about $2 a week for me. Uh, it, to me, to me, and being a fiscal conservative, because I voted for Rat Schimmel, but being a fiscal conservative, I dislike borrowing and borrowing and borrowing. He's borrowed over a billion dollars for votes since he's been in, in office. Okay, so that was the primary issue that caused you to vote against him this time, that, that you wanted, you would have liked to have seen an increase in taxes to pay for road improvements. And, you know, he said, well, I'm not going to increase the gas tax until we have corresponding cuts in other taxes. Well, taxes were cut. Why, haven't, why didn't he say at that time, I'm going to lower these taxes, but I'm going to raise the gas tax by a dime. Okay, got it. Thanks for calling, Larry. And I mean, I th- that's I, I mean, you you had I mean, you did have a concentrated campaign by special interest groups, some of these road builder groups who who wanted even more spending than we already have. And we've you know we we have put in billions of dollars over the last eight years to improving roads. But some of these road builders they want more and more money, and they ran some of those ads and they had that campaign and they said, "Here, you know, Scott Walker is responsible for these potholes." It will be interesting to see where we go now because will people really support massive tax increases? And again, I think you raise an interesting point. I'm not sure the Republican legislature is going to go along with it, but will Tony Evers now come out and say, okay, I want to have a massive gas tax increase? We have jam phone lines on this, and we're going to continue this segment um, because this is obviously the story that everybody's talking about. What happened, and how do you feel today, the day after, knowing that Scott Walker, who's been the governor for the last two terms, who has... I think, you know, been through thick and thin in this state. Now, um, the Walker administration, the Walker years appears to be coming to an end. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff, it's Eric Brooks, better known as Crowbar. 
For those of you that don't know, I produced Jeff's show for three years, and it was such a transformative and educational experience working with him. Jeff, you taught me so much about the business and showed me the ropes. You helped me understand how to serve your dedicated listeners across Wisconsin. You're more than just a radio host to a lot of people, including me, and many of us can never thank you for the joy and entertainment that you brought into our lives for so many years, both on great days and in days that we will never forget. You'll be dearly missed, but I know Fran and your family cannot wait to have you around more often. Though I somehow know there are more Wagner's rules of life to be learned in retirement. Cheers, buddy, and congratulations. Wake up this morning. And I turn on to today's show because it's 7.35, our time this morning. Matt Lauer, the intrepid journalist, was, he had an exclusive interview with this Rachel Dolezal, the woman from, the woman from uh, Spokane, Washington, who is white, who lied about being white, claiming to be black, and has been with this then ends up NAACP. Now, so I, I watched this, and I guess, first of all, I had a, a couple conclusions. First of all, if I, if I ever get caught in a bold-faced lie... I want Matt Lauer to interview me because you want to talk about softballs. I mean, this is, you're just looking at it like it's this kind of sympathetic thing and going, Matt, I mean, why don't you really like push her on some stuff? So Lauer embarrasses himself. But I'm watching this woman and you will be able to relate to it because everybody, male or female, has kind of like that that crazy boyfriend or crazy girlfriend that, that you dated for a while until you realize that they were just absolutely nuts and again it's it's not a gender thing i mean you know women date crazy guys guys date crazy women this is that this is that boyfriend or girlfriend this woman is in my opinion just nuts i mean it's just that's just kind of how you 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 look back and of course they're, they're showing the pictures of how you know she's Ethnically, she's white. Her parents are white. She's white. Now, that doesn't mean just because you're a white person doesn't mean that you can't have a sensitivity to, you know, civil rights and you can't do all sorts of great things to advance minority causes. But, but she's not black. She's not black. And, you know, they ask her these questions and she's kind of like tap dancing around her. And, and Matt Lauer never really, you know, pushes her and says, well, identify as black. Well, okay, John Meerdink could identify as a Martian, but that doesn't mean he is a Martian. Okay, this is, I'm just watching this thing and I'm thinking, this is everybody's crazy ex-boyfriend or crazy ex-girlfriend right there. But my favorite part is that um, apparently back in 2002, she had applied for a teaching job at Howard University, which is a traditionally black uh, university, and she sued them unsuccessfully, sued them claiming she was discriminated against because she was white. So in 2002... She was white, suing the black college. So maybe she just decided I'm I'm going to be black moving on. I don't know what else to say about this except I'm I'm watching all this stuff and there, there's so many people that are treating her with kid gloves and I'm thinking there, there's there's just something wrong here. And again, you you can you can be a black person and identify with. You know, hey, uh, with uh, you know Hispanic issues, or you can certainly be a white person and be very active in civil rights and do all sorts of great things. There's no question about it. But this woman's a liar. <laughs> it's just that simple. She, she's a liar, and you watch these interviews and you you, you wonder 
is this like a pathological liar here? And, and again, simply say, okay, well, no, I'm, you know, I, yeah, I'm, I'm Caucasian, I'm, I'm white, and but that doesn't mean that I haven't accomplished all these great things for the civil rights movement because you could certainly do it, but you can do it without pretending that you're something else. And now all the stories are she identifies as black. Well, again, like I say. Bearden could identify as a Martian. That doesn't make him a Martian. Although, you know, maybe we need to check that out. I think she's a con artist, but in my opinion, she's also just flat out nuts. I mean, this is a woman who was raised by white parents who went to a predominantly black university and then sued the university, claiming they discriminated against her because she was white, who now has decided that she's actually a black woman, has been lying about that, and has now been exposed for that, and it's one thing after another. And, of course, she's getting treated like she's She's got some degree of credibility, and this is going to be a serious conversation on race. No, that this woman, in my opinion, shows all the signs of being just flat out nuts, <laughs> and and we're putting on our TV. And you just every time they confront her with something, she just lies about more things. Well, you know, your parents are clearly white. Well, I don't know that my they're my parents. We haven't had a DNA test, huh? I mean, seriously, huh? And now the, the latest reports are, of course, that. Um, she was apparently involved in making a sex tape. Who cares? But what, what a surprise. But this this is just whether she's a, a hustler and a con artist or just like everybody's crazy ex-girlfriend or boyfriend or a combination thereof. This woman, in my opinion, is just trouble. And she's getting treated like she's some something serious. And that's, you know, that we should, you know, handle her with kid gloves and, you know, treat her when she says i identify as black well okay you didn't identify as black you know years ago but uh, no i don't think i'm being too hard on her at all it is it's, it's amazing it is amazing what it takes to get your 15 minutes of fame in this country Hey, Jeff, Charlie Sykes here. Congratulations on 20 gazillion years on the radio. You and I both know this sort of thing's a lot harder than it looks, but you've been a consummate pro all these years, and I can't wait to hear what you're going to do next, because even though we're old guys now, we're still too young to retire, right? But seriously, Jeff, best wishes for whatever you've got planned. Just don't make it a daily radio show. It's 12.35, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WTMJ. Our producer, Hondo. Do you know where Hilbert is? Hilbert is a small village in Calumet County. Um, Calumet County is, for people who don't know, it's on the northeast side of uh, Lake Winnebago. So Hilbert is... Well, it's kind of, it's close to Green Bay and Appleton and Fond du Lac and Manitowoc. It's kind of like centrally located. Um, Hilbert, uh, there's a Sargento uh, Foods is located there. But it's a small village, and there's a school district. The high school, the Hilbert High School, has about 200 students, ballpark. Um, so it, th- that's the kind of nature of it. And uh, there's this young lady who, her name is April Gell. And she, she's a star athlete at Hilbert High School. She is uh, the leading, she's a senior at Hilbert. She's uh, the leading scorer on the girls' basketball team in points and rebounds. Hilbert is 7-4 and four on the season, and they're one of the better teams in Division Five. Okay, so that's, that is the background of this. She has the WIAA, the Wisconsin Interscholastic Athletic Association, mad at her. Now, as a general rule... I am in favor of anybody who has the WIA mad at you because, as I have been carrying on for years, this is an out-of-control, obsessive organization. I understand it is run by the members, but 
It is run by an iron with by its members with an iron hand. And the sooner, in my opinion, the members take back control of this out of control organization, the better it will be. In any event, the WIAA sends out an email. It is written by the director of communications, Todd Clark, to state high school officials late last month concerning sportsmanship. Here is the email. It reads, Season's greetings. I hope everyone has a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, as well as the opportunity to take a short breather. Heading into the new year with the holiday tournaments and conference schedules ramping up and the winter sports tournament series soon to follow, we want to identify a point of emphasis for sportsmanship this season. As we reviewed the fall tournaments and the sportsmanship evaluations and observations, we want to address concerns with a notable increase in the amount of chance by student sections directed at opponents and or opponent supporters that are clearly intended to taunt and or disrespect. Okay, high school basketball games. Gee, the fans chant things that are perhaps disrespectful. Now, I'm thinking, are these obscenities? I mean, that, that are these vulgarities? That that's That's what I'm thinking here. You've got the students that are chanting like bad words and things like that. Ah, the email continues. Not wanting to restrict creativity or enjoyment, which would be a first for the WIA, an enthusiastic and boisterous display of support for a school's team is welcomed and encouraged at interscholastic events when directed in a positive manner. However, any action directed at opposing teams or their spectators with the intent to taunt, disrespect, distract, distract, or entice an unsporting behavior in response is not acceptable sportsmanship. So you can't distract. So if somebody is like shooting a free throw, you're not supposed to distract them, presumably. All right. Uh, I guess these people who run the WIA have never gone to professional basketball games or college basketball games or whatever. Student groups, school administrators, and event managers should take immediate steps to correct this unsporting behavior. Todd Clark continues, some specific examples of unsporting behavior by student groups. And again, I'm assuming that this is we don't want you screaming obscenities and things like that. Some specific examples of unsporting behavior by student groups, including chants directed at opposing participants and or fans among the chants. Now, I, I, I hope you're sitting down here among the chants that have been heard at recent high school sporting events are. Quote, you can't do that. Fundamentals. Airball. <laughs> Airball. All right. There's a net there. Civ. We can't hear you. The scoreboard cheer and season's over during tournament series plays. Thanks for your assistance. So this is it. Don't. Don't chant airball. Okay, don't don't chant airball because the little snowflakes that are playing the game, well, they might be offended by that. All right. So, how does this get national attention for this young lady from from Hilbert? Apparently what happens is they her school gets it. They pass on the the email. Um the email from the WIAA Todd Clark forwarded to Hilbert students by school officials earlier last week. She decides to send on her own time 
decides to send out a tweet. She passes the email on in its entirety. The headline, though, for the tweet, I cannot say it on the radio, but it's three words. It essentially, it is, well, I guess there's two ways you could describe it. It says, eat blank, W-I-A-A, or if that's not, if you're still unclear on it, she essentially says, consume excrement, W-I-A-A, and sends this on. The W-I-A-A finds out that this girl had the temerity to send out this tweet and becomes all irate. And they apparently then reach out to the the school and say, okay, you, you better deal with this. And she has now been suspended for five games. I think this raises all sorts of interesting issues, starting with the idea that apparently in the state of Wisconsin, under the regime that is the WIAA, somebody, a student athlete, on her own time, on her personal computer, her personal social media thing, cannot offer a comment, vulgar as it might have been, with regard to this policy that the WIAA has come out with. Should this girl have been disciplined, or is this an outrageous an outrageous example of, I don't know, a crackdown of freedom of speech. I mean, it's not like she used the school computers. She gets this. This is her own Twitter account. This is on her own time. She sends out this commentary as to what she thinks of this directive from the WIAA. The WIAA, which I will tell you this, cannot handle criticism at all. I've never, I won't say never, When it comes to thin-skinned organizations, the WIAA is right out there. They apparently say to the school district, do something about it, and the school district suspends her for five games. John in Fond du Lac. John, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. As you were reading that story, I think if most of us are honest, we're all thinking, you know, give me strength or some (laughs) other words that I know we can't say on the radio. But as you pointed out, This wasn't a young lady that was out on the court and told a referee, you know, to go pound sand or a coach or anything like that. She was completely, and what happened to free speech in this country? And as you pointed out, I have a daughter playing high school basketball. The WIAA and some of these rules, they are the most incompetent, inept, people that roam the earth and they are always offended and they cannot handle criticism and it's sad but this is a 17 year old girl on her own twitter account who has the temerity to respond to what now look i think this is a stupid email but the problem here though is excuse me is the uh whether it was the athletic director or the principal at hilbert I think they're as big an idiot as the WIAA because they're the ones that didn't have the stones to say to the WIAA, come on, guys, give us a break. Right. We Get are a life. not going to enforce this crap. Thanks for the call. No, I mean, that, that they just they just fold. Oh, my goodness, this is this is so terrible. Right. This is not like unsportsmanlike behavior. Look, maybe, maybe you disagree with me and you think that this email from the WIAA is exactly what you need. That's the last thing we can do in a high school basketball game to have the fans chant, 
air ball if somebody misses. Maybe you think that that's completely appalling. I would say... Uh, you, you know, the, the snowflakes need to recognize that those are some of the things that are going to happen. But but reasonable people, even if you can accept that reasonable people disagree with that, that you're going to suspend a girl for five games because she expresses her First Amendment opinion on the WIAA position. Uh, we continue the conversation in two minutes. This is, of course, getting national attention, and I think, once again, the WIAA is making itself a national laughing stock. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, Paul Ryan here. Hey, congratulations. 25 years at TMJ. That's amazing. It seems like yesterday you were just running for attorney general and just getting started in this job. Look, I just want to say this. Jeff Wagner has been a voice of reason, a soothing voice in a respite for people in the afternoons in all of southeastern Wisconsin for a quarter of a century. We're going to miss you. We're going to miss who you are, how you sound, and what you've done uh, for all of us in our community. And take it from me, retirement's a pretty cool thing because there's all these other things you can do with your life. I'm excited for you. Thank you, and God bless. 49, if you're just uh, tuning in, this story has now gone national. The WIAA, which is the regime that runs high school sports, it is, in my opinion, an out-of-control organization. I've talked about it before. They send out their their spokesperson sends out this memo before Christmas, essentially saying to the member schools, "We want you to discourage what we consider to be unsportsmanlike conduct, like chance, the chance, and things like that." And I thought they were talking about obscenities, but things like airball. Don't scream air. Don't let the kids scream airball, you know, during a basketball game, which to me is is insane. So anyhow, there's this senior. She's at Hilbert High School um, up in Calumet County. She gets a copy of the memo, and sends out a tweet on her own Twitter account, not involving the school, and it says, eat blank WIAA. The WIAA finds out about it. They alert the uh, athletic director at Hilbert, and they've now suspended the girl for five games. Really? Rick in Milwaukee. Rick, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi. I actually saw that this weekend. I forwarded to my son, who's an athlete, and I couldn't believe it. I, you know, well, no, if I, she, you know, if, if she's on the basketball court and she uses a vulgarity with regard to the official, I get it. You toss her, you suspend her. But this is this is her Twitter account responding to what I think is a dumb policy by the WIAA. And I, I quite honestly, I don't have a problem with a you know partial game suspension or a one game suspension if it came from the coach for violating team rules. If a coach decides that they don't, he doesn't want his student, his student athletes acting like that, that's his right to do that. And I think that's probably where it came from. But to suspend her for five games, which she could have pulled out a needle and, and <laughs> injected heroin into her arm and gotten the same suspension. Yeah. So, it's, I mean, it's just, there's no, there's, there's no just desserts on this as far as what, you know, what, what, what should be laid down for, which is probably a freedom of speech issue. Um, but most athletic codes do, um, dictate what can be said and done on social media but to, to go to the extreme of I guess here's my question Rick and, and maybe this is something that every student athlete in the state of Wisconsin now has to address and that is that if you now use a bad word if that's what got her suspended the fact that you know in, in some tweet or a posting she used a bad word a vulgarity does that mean that 
any athlete is now going to be suspended for using a bad word, or was she suspended because she criticized the WIAA, in which case, seems to me, you've got a major free speech issue. Uh, and I'd, like to, I'd love to hear the clarification from the school on that, because the, the using the bad word thing, I think you may be surprised, but almost every athletic code out there for every high school does cover that. Right, but, but do we suspend? I, I mean, every time, if if every high school athlete that's ever heard to utter a bad word, are they now going to be suspended for five games? That is ridiculous. Yeah. that they would do it. And, you know, just because it's in there and it's a violation doesn't mean it, it it would go to that extreme. More 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 so than not, you would, like I said, have a coach speak to your athlete. Right. And say, you know, this is not how we want to represent our. Yeah. No, th- thanks. I mean, again, I just, I mean, I, I just. Look, I'm a long way away from uh, high school athletics, but my guess is there's not a day that doesn't go by in the state of Wisconsin where some high school athlete might use a vulgarity. And I don't hear about them being suspended for five games. Now, it seems to me we understand what happened here. She used this vulgarity in criticizing a policy that the masters in the WIAA came out with. They are thin-skinned, and so the school decides we're going to crack down on this. But th- this is now my question. If it's not a free speech issue, it is every every time a student athlete says a bad word, is this going to be five games on the bricks? And if that's the case, Look, let's face it, will you ever, are you going to have enough athletes to field, well, you know, a volleyball team or a basketball team? Greg and Madison. Greg, you're on 620 WTMJ. Yeah, kind of chiming in along the previous caller. Uh, five games for expressing an opinion and using a word that is uh, yeah. <laughs> one of the seven naughty words. Right. Uh, a couple of years ago, there was that kid from Quantico who got alleged and arrested uh, for rape. Uh, during the football season. Right. The WIA didn't get involved in there. The Germantown basketball team, four of them got arrested for smoking pot and possession of it during school (laughs) and got a two-game suspension. And this girl expresses her opinion and gets a five-game suspension? Something's seriously wrong. Well, it is. I mean, it is just fundamentally messed up on so many levels. And I don't even, again, I, I think this is a stupid memo coming out from a stupid, out-of-control organization. And I understand that the members go along with this, but you've got the administration of the WIAA that runs it. Then they always say, well, we're just doing what our members want. Well, the truth is, it's time for the members to take that back and take back that group. And the sooner you got rid of the entire hierarchy, the, the better off it would be. But even... Even if you disagree with me that this is a dumb memo that they sent out, I mean, really, five games. And the WIA, they're, they're the ones that saw this. They found out about it. They alert the school, well, you better do something about this. Five games for exp- her expressing an opinion, a three-word opinion, admittedly including a vulgarity, but a vulgarity that my guess is student-athletes use all across Wisconsin on a daily, daily basis. Steve in Sussex. Steve, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Steve. How are you? This is getting me worked up. I just think uh, this girl is getting railroaded. <laughs> I, I hear you, Jeff, and I kind of disagree. I, you know, I coached in uh, both basketball and volleyball in schools, and, I mean, like you said earlier, there are players that will use that word on the court. They'll get a warning, you know, hey, don't use that word, right. and, yes, it's written in the codes and everything, but let's face it, Jeff. The reason the WIAA is doing this is they are becoming, next to the communist Nazi state, whatever you want to call it, 
and they are upset that somebody is actually questioning right. they, their right. imperialistic right. order. Right. If this was what you're saying is that if this was a if this girl had used the, the same thing, passing on a tweet about okay over the weekend we we did a special special Stephen Avery coverage. Okay, if if she had just passed out passed on the press release we sent out about that, saying you know eat blank WTMJ. What you're saying is the the WIA wouldn't have gotten involved at all. Exactly. It's it's obvious that they wouldn't because yeah. that is not against them. And again. The whole situation, I guess that's why what you said earlier is the members of the WIA need to rise up because even this young lady recognizes that it's becoming the, you know, oversensitive uh, America. Just you can't even, no wonder why our kids grow up and can't handle life these days. Yeah, exactly. Because you've got adults, you've got the WIA that can't handle the criticism. And again, I. I think this was a stupid memo. I think if you've really gotten to the point that you can't go to a high school basketball game and the kids can't chant air ball when somebody shoots and misses, first of all, what, what is that, what is that going to do when some of the kids go on to play college basketball? Is this now the politically correct thing that we've got to look out for the sensitivity of the snowflakes? Now, again, I, I understand that some of the chants and stuff can go too far, and that's why I thought they were saying, okay, make sure it doesn't include vulgarities and things like that, but, but sieve or airball or these things now the politically correct and sensitive wia people can't have that but now you can't even criticize them shame on this group and these member organizations that allow yourself to be well just beholden under the boot heels of this wiaa you need to take back your organization and it starts by cleaning house jeff wagner 620 wtmj would I wait a half hour for a table at one of my very favorite restaurants or one of the best rest- restaurants in town? Yeah, maybe if I could sit at the bar. There's no way I'm waiting 30 or 45 minutes to get a chicken sandwich at Popeye's. Are people crazy? Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm fine, but life is too short. <laughs> no, my limit would be five minutes. I mean, that would be it. Otherwise, you know what? I would just exactly what you just said. I would. I'd stop at a in a bar, sit at the table, and or sit at the bar and, and order a sandwich. I'd still be out of there in forty minutes. Well, well, right, exactly. I mean, and at the end of the day, look, it, it could be great, and maybe it's better than Chick Fil A or better than. The, but at the end of the day, it's a fast food chicken sandwich. Well, it's, it's called fast. It's, right. It's not right. supposed to be forty minutes. It's yeah, supposed to be a half hour. Exactly. Now, thanks for calling. Now, don't be don't get misunderstand. I'm not criticizing Popeyes at all. Clearly, whatever the marketing thing is that they did, it kind of overwhelmed them. So, I mean, I'm, uh, it's a good product problem to have that you have more demand for your product than you can meet. I'm just saying I just flat don't understand this because, I mean, the whole idea of fast food is fast food. All right, let's go to some text. Jeff, I was at Popeyes Monday this week. They were already out of them. This was the Popeyes by Miller Parkway. Yeah, that's apparently a nationwide problem. Uh, Another text, Jeff, there's no way I'm waiting. As you say, life is too short. Another text, Jeff, don't these people have jobs? Are they going to die without eating that chicken sandwich today? Well, I, what's that? that's the line from Caddyshack. Don't you people have jobs? I, I, You know, it's just, it could be a great chicken sandwich. And I understand that there is part of this kind of collective experience. Oh, we're all waiting for the chicken sandwich. Let's have fun. But 
Okay, it's a chicken sandwich. Uh, Mitch says, it's fast food. If it's slow, I'm out of there. Another text, I'm not waiting more than five minutes. Too many other choices, to which I would say amen to um, that. Uh, Taylor in River Hill says, Jeff, this was a normal business operation chicken sandwich. This was the launch. This was not a normal operation chicken sandwich. This was the launch of a special product, but it was no different from the opening of the Chick-fil-A, you know, Portillo's or Wahlbarger's. People will wait a long time for the initial product output. Well, obviously, you're right. People will wait a long time for the initial product output. I guess I'm just saying that I'm not one of those people. Jeff, no, I would not wait 40 minutes. By comparison, I made reservations at Olive Garden on Friday night for a party of eight. I get there, and the hostess says the wait will be 30 minutes. I was upset, and I said I made reservations for my group, so I wouldn't have to wait. I have not been back and don't intend to be back. Um, Dave in Appleton says, I wouldn't wait 30 minutes if they were free, <laughs> and I could only get four of them. I, I guess credit to Popeye's for creating this incredible demand. Great marketing success. And my guess is, I don't know, they're going to bring them back. And my guess is, well, a couple months from now, you're going to be able to go into a Popeye's and you're going to be able to order as many of these things as you want and you're going to be able to get them right away. I will wait till that opportunity comes along. Jeff Wagner's 25-year career at WTMJ comes to an end. For the rest of the year, dive back in the archives with us as we bring you the best of Jeff Wagner throughout his career. You're listening to the best of Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, another opinion piece on this. Let's see, this is in something called Quartz Magazine. The most controversial accessory in the United States looks simple enough. A straightforward phrase, make America great again. An ugly design, barely legible text printed on blinding red fabric. In its font, it looks like it was last used in 1996. The point is that the Make America Great hat has come to be a symbol imbued with meaning well beyond the literal command to make America great again. Wearing the hat is not a neutral act. It will betray the wearer in an affiliation with the racist, racist and nationalist factions among Trump supporters. Um, it may not. At the very least, it shows that the wearer is unmoved by the fact that their hat makes people uncomfortable. If the smirking kid had called someone a racial slur, this is talking about the Covington thing, he would not be able to release a statement just saying, in hindsight, I wish we could have walked away from the whole thing. The hat is becoming more like that. I can personally say, as a, and this is another writer, as an, an African-American who sometimes has a large terrorist-looking beard, if I see someone with a Make America Great hat on, I become afraid they will tell me to go back to my home country or punch me in the face. It is a hat. And this is the reaction that you have from people nowadays. Now, if you are a regular listener of this program, you know that I, I have a more I have a nuanced view of President Trump. Doing this show would perhaps be easier if I just completely drank the Kool-Aid, thought that everything he did was great, or if I drank the Kool-Aid and just completely hated everything he does. 
I, I, that's not this show, and that's not me. It is a nuanced view. Donald Trump does some things that I, I think are, are good. I think some things are going to turn out to be good for the country. In many cases, he does them in ways that I find to be boorish and ham-handed. But at, at the same time, I give him credit when he accomplishes things, and I like to think I criticize him when he, he's doing stuff that I, I think is just counterproductive or whatever. But this idea... Now that's being promulgated out there is that if you have the audacity to publicly support President Trump, if you are one of then if you believe the polls, the 35 or 36 or 37 percent of the population that believes President Trump is doing a good job and you display it by wearing that hat. Well, the idea that you are you're a racist, you're a hater, you're a member of the Klan. I think is just incredibly offensive. And this idea that we're going to be able to then make these sort of judgments. Well, if you're wearing that Make America Great hat, you kind of get what you deserve. Well, that's why you had the black hate group uh, that was screaming the the racial slurs at the kids. That's why the, the guy from the American Indian movement was right to go in and confront him and bang on the drums. You know, really? It's a hat, and it is an expression of, again, support for a political candidate, or in this case, the President of the United States. You might not like the President of the United States. You might not agree with the President of the United States. You might think the President of the United States is this or that or the other. But this idea that, well, all his supporters and anybody who would wear this hat has to be a racist or a hater and pretty much deserves what they get. Well, of course you had these groups, these hate groups that were screaming at the kids. They were wearing these hats, don't you understand? Give me a break. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Bill, good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. What do you yes. think? Uh, a couple of years ago, I got a Christmas card from, from Donald Trump during during the election, and it, it had the, the him wearing the hat, the Pledge of Allegiance, and I cut it all apart and got it printed on T-shirts. And I'm proud to wear that T-shirt with that hat showing on there. I'm not proud of some of the things he does with his Twitter accounts, but basically I think he's doing a good job. Well, yeah, okay, so you got to understand, Bill, that when, when you go out in public, you know, wearing that, you understand that some people view you as a racist and a hater, and you're out there trying to provoke a reaction from them. They're sick, I think. Well, you're right. Exactly. I mean, thanks for the call. I mean, last time I checked, this was America. Now, I understand that there's some people who believe that in America, well, what you have to do is, is you have to all think about things the same way. And, you know, we're, we're it's OK if you wear if you want to wear, I don't know, like one of those the, those hats, like the what do they call them? The, the the pussy hats that they had on. Remember, you had those. That were, that's okay. You you can wear that, and that's and and that's that's great. Um, you can express your opinions with T-shirts and say whatever you want to say. But on the other hand, if you wear the Make America Great hat, that means that, well, anything that, you know, we want to say about you, because this is our perception, that means you are a supporter of Donald Trump. And if you're a supporter of Donald Trump, that means that you've got to be a hater and you've got to be racist. Well, okay, maybe you're a supporter of Donald Trump because maybe you believe in building the wall. I'm agnostic on the wall. I've said that. But maybe you believe in that. And and maybe you believe that, you know, it's time to return America to, you know, some of the things that did make it great. And you can have that discussion, you know, is 
Do you agree or not? And that's what elections are for. I understand all that. But to essentially say, well, these kids were dupes because they were wearing this hat and they essentially deserve what they get. That's what I find to be offensive about this entire situation. Let's see. Here's a text. If someone wears a red Make America Great Again hat, it means they are pro-Trump. Yeah, I think it does. That means they support the lying con man currently residing in the White House. Well, okay, again, see, this is the attitude. This is what you get from the Trump haters that are out there. Well, anybody that would support him and anybody that would have the audacity to publicly publicly recognize this, well, that means they've got to be haters. That means that they have to be evil. Well, okay, it it might just mean that they support President Trump. And I understand in this tribal world that we're in now that if you support President Trump, that's the worldview of the people that hate President Trump. I, I get it. But the, the reality is, maybe you just support President Trump. And the 37% right now in the polls, or the people that voted for him two years ago, I don't know, I, if you want to dismiss all those people as saying they're racist and they're haters or whatever, okay, that that's, that's fine, but I think that's wrong. Here's the story I want to talk to you about starting off with. It comes from Maryland, but it doesn't matter. This could happen anywhere. The guy is a veteran, an army veteran, um, seven years in the army, did a stint in Afghanistan, and his name is Joe Morisi, and he he works for CVS, CVS, the pharmacy chain, big pharmacy chain, you know, we've got CVSs around here, and he's, he's into management at CVS. As a matter of fact, what they've done is CVS had hired him to manage this this, this store in the uh, in the Maryland area, and they had actually helped him relocate. So he, he's he's come here to be the manager at this particular CVS store. Well, here's here's the story. Um, what happens is, while he's in the store, two men come into the store, and they run to the pharmacy area. They jump over the counter. And tell the pharmacist to open the safe. Right, so that that's the instructions. The the veteran um, sees this this going on. You know, he's the, he's the manager. He's another portion of the store, but he, he sees he picks up that there's this robbery that's going place in place. He said, my my main concern was that just you know get everyone make sure they're safe in the building. So I react out of instinct. So here's what he says he does. He says, okay, once he sees this going on, he runs to the cashier and he tells the cashier to call 911 because the store was being robbed. Okay, then he sees these two guys who have now gotten into the safe and they've taken a whole bunch of prescription drugs and they're starting to um, head out the door. He says one of the two is carrying a screwdriver. As they come towards him in the aisle, he says that one of them tries to hit him, punches at him, but he he blocks it. What he had done before this is he had apparently shepherded a couple of the customers out of the store, and then he had locked the door. So the thieves aren't going to be able to get out. So then he's coming the other way down the aisle. They're trying to get out. The doors are locked. He's moved the customers out. And one of the guys takes a swing at him. Well, he's an Army veteran of Afghanistan. He blocks it. Um, And then there is a struggle. One of the two 
says that um, we, we've got a gun, shoot him. Well, he says, I don't think you've got a gun. And it turns out, like I say, to be a screwdriver. So he disarms one of the bad guys. So there, there's this ongoing struggle. Ultimately, the two bad guys are able to get away. They're able to, like, force the door open and run away. Right. Well, all right, a couple minutes later, the police arrive, and the guy that's the head manager for the store arrives, or the regional manager or whatever. And, you know, they, they say, what happened? And he says, well, this, this is it. I, I saw the store was being robbed. I got the customers out. I had the the, uh, I had the woman behind the counter, the cashier, called 911. I locked the door, and I went to catch these guys so they weren't getting out with prescription drugs. At which point in time, his boss says, well, we appreciate what you did, but you're getting fired. We, we've got we to fire you. And he says, what do you mean you've got to fire me? He says, well, no, you, you were wrong to confront these people. And he says, well, wait. I got the I got everybody out of the store, or at least I, I got the I got the customers out of the store. The employees weren't in danger. It was just me and these two people who were stealing prescription drugs. And yeah, I I tried to stop them. Manager, the owner, the the guy's boss says, "Sorry, you know you're you're gone. Can't have you doing this." All right, now I I know the policy of the store is not to endanger the customers. But at the same time, here you have these two folks, these two robbers, stealing prescription drugs. The manager has 911 called, confronts the robbers after getting customers out, and tries to stop them. Does he deserve to be fired, or should they give him a medal? Hey, Jeff. Former producer Sam here. I just wanted to congratulate you on 25 years here at WTMJ, and thank you for being so open and kind and showing me the ropes around here for about four months uh short but sweet so yeah go live it up in florida with fran and you will be missed thanks so much it's 12 19 jeff wagner 620 wtmj all right the uh cvs statement about this says in the unfortunate event of a robbery at one of our stores the safety and well-being of our customers and employees is always our highest priority we do not comment on specific security policies as we do not want to undermine them and due to our employment privacy policies we are unable to comment on mr morrissey well mr morrissey is commenting he says hey i got people out of the store we called 911 and i saw two of these punks trying to get out the door with a bunch of prescription drugs and i decided i was not going to just stand passively by and let them leave one of them took a punch at me and yeah i, I we struggled back i was able to stop them from getting out of the door with most of the stolen pills i was able to disarm them uh yeah i think i did the right thing cbs has fired him let's start with mike in milwaukee mike you're first good afternoon um this this upsets me very greatly um this guy should be commended for, for his bravery. Not, he shouldn't have been fired. And I, I'd love to know what store it is so I can call and, and try to get this guy's job back. This yeah, is ridiculous. Yeah, this is a store out of Beltsville, Maryland. So, but it, I mean, it could have, but it's, but it's their policy. I mean, he made, you know, and I guess they, I understand. I mean, the, the, they think that, well, you know, we don't, we don't want, the worst thing we have happen is we don't want to have somebody like shooting up a store and killing a bunch of customers. So here we just want to, you know, go ahead, let them take the stuff. Well, in this case, the manager, I think, did everything he could to make sure that that wasn't going to happen. They called 911, they got the customers out of the store, and then he decided he just wasn't going to let these punks, you know, run away with the prescription narcotics. And you get fired for that. 
that's ridiculous. The guy is a hero, and he should be. She should get his job back, and he should be commended for what he did. Thanks to call. I understand that you've got th- these policies, and I'm sure that the policies are we would rather allow a bunch of pillheads to come in and rob us, and then go out on the streets than risk. Okay, one of our customers getting hurt. But in this particular case. I think it was a measured sort of decision. There was no question that there was no customers that were in danger. The guy, who's a seven-year Army veteran, served in Afghanistan, makes the evaluation that they don't have a gun. They've got a screwdriver, and I can take these two. And after making sure that the police have been notified and that the customers are all safe and that there's no employees in danger, yeah, he decides he's going to try to detain them. And you lose your job for that? Let's talk to Rick in Oshkosh. Rick, good afternoon. Uh, good morning. I like your program. Thank you, sir. I'm a veteran, and I know that veterans are trained, uh, whether you're Navy, military, I mean, whatever the military, Navy, uh, Marines, or which, whichever branch you're serving for, you're trained. And once, you're, uh, once you've been there, you know mm-hmm. that uh, what has to be done in this case is you fire the manager, his boss, <laughs> and this guy, you bring him in, and you put him in his place. Now, right. this guy will be the head of, or, or, you know, raise him up in management even further. Mm-hmm. Take him away from that, uh, that Look. scenario altogether now, and, you know, inc- increase his wages, double his wages, <laughs> triple his wages. Uh, yeah, and let him, let him give instructions. Well, thanks for the call, Ray. I mean, I get, look, here, I, if... If what he did is apparently a violation of policy, the CVS policy is here, come rob us, take the prescription drugs, run out, we'll let you go. All right, I I appreciate that, and maybe that's a policy that the lawyers have developed and they think it's best in the overall course of liability because they're afraid of one of the robbers hurting a customer and then buying a big lawsuit. Okay, so I, I understand all that. But at the same time, that's not what happened here. If the manager was out of policy for attempting to what I think most of us would agree was do the right thing and try to you know catch the the robbers before they get out on the street with the prescription narcotics. Okay, if he was wrong in confronting them, all right, isn't this one where you take him aside and say, we're, we're sorry, we, we understand that you were well-intentioned, you had 911 called, that's great, you got the customers to safety, that's great, but you know, we, we our policy is we want you to stand by and watch this theft go down. You didn't do that. Do you really need to fire him for that? Can't you just say, okay, next time there's one of these robberies, we'd like to ask you to respond in a different way. Don't confront the attackers, even though you you were able in this particular case to take on two of them, to disarm them, and ultimately to stop the prescription drugs from being stolen. All right, just don't do it again. Do you need to fire him for this? Let's talk to Janet in Brookfield. Janet, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Janet. Um, This happened to me once. I was a branch manager, and we were in the middle of a robbery, and one of my employees, after the robber left the bank, ran out of the bank and chased the robber. Mm -hmm. Um, Eventually, the police did catch the robber, but um, I had a stern talk with him, and then I was on the hot seat for not firing him on the spot. But he also was a guy that wanted to be a cop and was in training. So mm-hmm. that's the only reason I cut him slack. But the training that they give him is you let the robber go. The police right. take care of it. And you are not the police. You are a bank employee. Right. So, right. but I was on the hot seat for not firing him on the spot. But 
See, due no, to I, his circumstances and he wasn't training, I realized uh, that, you know, he uh, had that instinct. That's why he was going to be a cop. So. Right. And, see, and, Jen, and, I, see, and I guess I think that's the right way to handle it. Like I just said, they, they, if you want to you, you bring the guy aside and say, all right, we might we recognize that you might disagree with his policy. Most people that hear it probably disagree with his policy, and you are out of policy. Don't don't let it happen again. <laughs> I guess that's mm-hmm. that's that's how I would would handle it. Just just don't don't let it happen again. As opposed to saying you know we're automatically going to fire you. You know could this have broken really bad? Yeah, but it but it ended up not. And I guess I would say keep your job and thanks for trying, but just let them take the dope next time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. How I mean, would uh, the bank you were working at was was it an armed robbery? They come with guns and stuff. Yeah, it was a it was a hostile one. So oh. yeah. You still have. I'm, I'm, it had to be a scary experience. Well, it's always very scary, but it's even scarier when you're watching an employee run yeah. out the door. Right to try to chase him down. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, I I'm was totally responsible, and that's not a good feeling to see somebody that's been trained take off after a robber. Got it. No, thanks for the call. Appreciate four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. And I and I understand there's all sorts of reasons for that. I mean, in Janet's case, she. It's, it's an armed robbery. She doesn't want to see the bad guys turn around and shoot and kill the, the employee. So I, I, I get that. I understand the reason they have these policies. It is the policy. The guy was out of policy, but does he need to be out of his job? Let's talk to, um, let's see, Rob in Waukesha. Rob, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Rob. I am a veteran, and I think this guy should not have been fired, maybe suspended for a couple of days, mm-hmm. recommended, something like that, just because he did break the policy. Right. But you got to look at his background. Plus, you're talking if there's narcotics involved. What a nightmare for the pharmacy to go through and have to justify where all these pills went to. Oh, right. Um, I th- this guy evaluated. He knew what he was doing. He has the experience. Yeah. And the company should be glad that someone yeah. is working for him like that. Yeah, and that's what he says. He says, look, he says, look, I was in Afghanistan. I just reacted. <laughs> you know, I, I, uh-huh. I, I, we called 911. I got the customers out of the store, and then these guys are running at me, and, and we get into a struggle. I just reacted. And that costs your job. Hey, thanks for calling. I mean, I just think CVS is wrong in this case. It, are, do, do they have a right to have their policy? Yeah, I get it. Is there legal reasons why they have it? Yes. Was the guy out of policy? Yes. Should he be out of a job? Heck no. Breaking news, of course, is that Kyle Rittenhouse found not guilty on all five counts. Uh, right now, not a huge presence at the Kenosha County Courthouse. Uh, there's a number of, of people, it, it, dozens, we're, we're not talking hundreds, we're not talking thousands. There's maybe a couple dozen people that are gathered on the courthouse steps. You, you just heard some comments from Jacob Blake's uncle, who was viewing this in, in, in racial sort of terms and things like that. Um, I, I don't, there, right now there is a huge police presence, like I say. I, I, we're getting reports that, um, the, that Governor Evers is looking at, again, the, the National Guard, keep in mind, has been in Milwaukee County or Waukesha County. My guess is that you are going to, to see a, a larger police presence that's going to be brought into and deployed around Kenosha. Just, just, again, as a way of deterring any, any people, anybody that might show up and might be inclined to, you know, act out in a way that is inappropriate. I mean, right now you're not seeing any of that, and hopefully cooler heads will, in fact, prevail. I, I, in, you know, this particular case 
is perhaps not as as volatile and not as charged as perhaps some of the other cases that have been around. But nevertheless, I think, you know, everybody from the perspective of law enforcement is committed to making sure that law enforcement does not lose control like they did in the the two nights preceding what happened that third night of the riots, looting, protests, whatever you want to call it, that that led to the entire thing with with Kyle Rittenhouse. Uh, Kyle Rittenhouse has now been discharged. For people who wonder what do you do with the mistrial motions and things like that, there won't be rulings on him because the fact that the jury has found him not guilty means he cannot be tried on these charges again, so there's no reason to rule on the various mistrial motions that are, in fact, out there. So we won't hear any more about that. As I said a couple of minutes ago with Eric Bilstadt, this isn't the necessarily the, the end of the, the proceedings involving Bill, uh, involving Kyle Rittenhouse, because what's inevitably going to happen is there will be you know civil lawsuits. I think some have perhaps already been filed. There'll be discovery matters and things like that, and there will be a different burden of proof in a civil trial than in a um, in a criminal trial. In addition, I, I think one of the things that needs to happen after after this case is I, I think particularly the legislature needs to take a, a sort of a tougher look at, at certain laws. The one count that was thrown out by the judge was a charge of possessing a a firearm illegally by a a minor. And the judge, and I'm not sure, I don't necessarily believe the judge was incorrect at this, but but the law is kind of a mess. The law says if you're 16 or 17 years old, you you can't go armed with a dangerous weapon unless it's in a hunting or a trap shooting or something like that situation. But because of a technicality perhaps in the law, some unclear wording in the statute, the judge found that 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 didn't apply as long as the gun wasn't a sawed-off rifle or a sawed-off shotgun. I think the legislature needs to take a hard look at that and say, okay, what what is really going on here? Do we really want to have a situation where 16- and 17-year-olds can go wandering down the streets, you know, carrying loaded firearms? So I think that that's an issue that they might want to take a look at. And as we will perhaps discuss later on, I, I think maybe this raises the whole question of how broad it is self-defense. And there's all sorts of different states apply the concept of self-defense in, in, in different ways. In Wisconsin, once you raise the issue of self-defense, it becomes the burden of the prosecution to essentially disprove that beyond a reasonable doubt. And as I've been saying for the last year, that is a in the in light of the facts of this particular case, that is a, a very difficult standard to meet. Other states treat self-defense differently. Some states say it's an affirmative defense, and if you raise it, you then have to prove it. You assume the burden. I think maybe that there will maybe there will be a discussion moving forward about do we need to take a look at the the self-defense laws and things like this? Do we need to change some of the standards or? Is the lesson of Kyle Rittenhouse going to be that you can show up in public situations armed and then end up getting involved in situations and then shooting people who aren't, in fact, armed and then using self-defense? Is self-defense the concept too broad in, in Wisconsin? And I think that's, you know, one of the things that people are going to be, you know, looking at a, as well if we try to figure out where we're going to be moving, going, moving forward. 
We um, we have been talking about various aspects of the Rittenhouse case since the incident occurred in August of 2020. The jury has now spoken. The jury has said the state did not prove its case beyond a reasonable doubt, and Kyle Rittenhouse is free. Music mogul Kanye West gets on the Wisconsin ballot. Now, Eric Bilstead, what would you say Kanye West is most famous for? Well, he he does have some good records, but a lot of people now know him as a a rapper who's married to uh, Mrs. Kardashian. Kim Card, right? He is Mr. Kim Kardashian. A- a- absolutely, that that I think is right. He he's very successful, very very wealthy. But I, I think when you say Kanye West to most people, it's you think, oh, he's he's the guy that's married to Kim Kardashian mm-hmm. and part of that just whole reality show world that's that, that's out there. Yep. Well, Kanye West. Wants to be the president. Well, I, I don't know if he really wants to be the president. Maybe it, it's just, again, that this great publicity stunt. But Kanye West is trying to get on the ballot. And if you haven't been following the story, it, it's kind of interesting here. Now, keep in mind, Donald Trump won Wisconsin last time around by like 22,000 votes. So that, in a, in a state where... You know, you're, you're going to have well over a million votes chaos. That, that's a very, very small margin. So if we were to assume, and I'm not saying I necessarily buy this, but if we're to assume that Wisconsin is going to be as close in 2020 as it was in 2016, any anything can really have an impact on, on the ballot. So Kanye West, for reasons that are still a little bit unclear, he's he's running for president. To get on the ballot in Wisconsin to be president, you need 2,000 signatures. You, so you have to have 2,000 people that say, I, I support this. All right? So that's the background. Um, as it turns out, you had Republican operatives who were helping get signatures to get Kanye West on the Wisconsin ballot. Now, why? Well, the, well, the answer is obvious because I don't know if it's correct thinking, but the thinking is, gee, Kanye West, if he's on the ballot, there might be some people who would otherwise vote for Joe Biden who will vote for Kanye West. Now, I, I don't I don't know. Yeah, that might be overthinking this, but that might be like too clever by half. But all right, that's kind of what the thinking is going on. But again, keep in mind, in an election where President Trump won last time by 22,000 votes, if you... I don't know, get 20,000 people or more who vote for Kanye West instead of Joe Biden. Theoretically, that that could have an impact. Again, I, I'm not saying I buy into this, but this is the thinking. So you have Republican operatives who were helping get Kanye West on the ballot. The Democratic Party of Wisconsin does not want Kanye West on the ballot because they're worried that he's going to siphon some votes away from Joe Biden. So Republicans want him on the ballot. Democrats don't want him on the ballot. Which brings us to the State Elections Commission. Now, the laws in Wisconsin are are extremely clear. Like I say, you need 2,000 valid signatures to get yourself on the ballot. In addition, those signatures under the law need to be turned in by 5 o'clock p.m. on in what would have been last Tuesday. Okay, so or the, the previous Tuesday. So that's it. They have to be in by Tuesday, at, by Tuesday a week ago, and they have to have 2,000 signatures. So that's kind of the, the story behind it. And there's been some, 
there's been some thing of if they look through the ballot signatures, and this almost always happens, they find some signatures of Mickey Mouse and things like like that. But what happens is, so the elections board they review the signatures, and they turned in like 2,400 and some signatures, and even after striking the questionable ones, there's still more than 2,000 signatures valid that are there to get him on the ballot. Well, here's the problem. Like I say, the law says that the signatures need to be turned in by 5 o'clock p.m. We could go Tuesday. Well, in order to be in order to be counted for reasons for reasons that still escape me, the people showed up at the courthouse to turn in the signatures and they didn't get there until like a minute or two after five. <laughs> now, I, I, it's there's a little bit of an argument whether they got there at five o'clock and 30 seconds or 501 or 508 or whatever, but they, they didn't get there by five o'clock. And the law does say pretty clearly it has to be in by five o'clock. So now they have enough valid signatures to be on the ballot but they have failed to get there in a timely fashion based on on this technicality. So what happened yesterday is the State Elections Commission staff, these are are the bureaucrats, they issued a paper saying, we believe Kanye West should not be put on the ballot because of the failure to turn the signatures in by 5 o'clock. And that's now what the Elections Commission is going to be deciding do you deny him access to the ballot based on what I think you could argue is a is a very, very hyper technical failure? I mean, there was somebody in the clerk's office. They, they turned him in, but they were a minute or two late. So the question is, all right, what what do we accomplish if in Wisconsin our, our history has been that we try to bend over backwards to allow people ballot access, to, to get them on the ballot, even though Kanye West isn't going to win the Wisconsin election, he's not going to get any electoral votes. But historically, in this state, we have bent over backwards to try to find ways to put people on, on the ballot if they have enough valid signatures. Now, you might remember earlier this year, two people running to be the uh, Milwaukee County executive got tossed off the ballot because they they failed to turn in enough valid signatures. If you remember, there, there's a rule that says that you can only circulate petition, you can only circulate signatures for one candidate. And these various candidates went out, they hired this outfit to go get signatures for them, and then the outfit went out and they, they used the same person to go get signatures for multiple candidates. So in that case, the, the law was that the, these signatures were not valid because the law says guys circulating them can only circulate petitions for one candidate, and all the other ones that get turned in are, are struck down. So even though the candidates did not know that the person they hired had gone out and had solicited signatures for other campaigns, the elections board said, okay, we can't let you on the ballot because this is a violation. And those signatures are not, we, we can't accept them. This, I think, is a closer call. And by the way, I don't have any problem with with the law. I think it will be interesting to see what happens. And my comment on this is, first of all, again, I, I, the Democrats, like I say, they're the ones that filed the complaint saying it was a couple minutes late, so you shouldn't let him on the ballot. This 
again, it is a technicality. And I guess the question to me becomes, how significant is this technicality? But here's the thing, and this is where the precedent is. Like I say, the the tradition in Wisconsin has been that we bend over backwards to try to not use technicalities to keep people off, off the ballot. And I do think whatever the State Elections Commission does today sets a precedent. Because, yes, the law says it has to be turned in by 5 o'clock, and I have no problem if the Elections Commission says, all right, we're going to enforce this. It was They, they came a minute late or two minutes late or, or whatever, but they have enough valid signatures. But because you missed the deadline by a minute or two or three, we're not going to let you on the ballot. That's fine if they take that position. But I think people need to know, at least in my opinion, you're setting a precedent here. Because if we are now going to stop we're going to say we're not going to allow people on the ballot because of what, again, I, I think is a technicality. You know, you're a minute or two late. You're late, and the law says you've got to be there by 5 o'clock. And for the life of me, I do not understand how you can be a couple minutes late in something like this. I mean, you know what the deadline is. It's like I don't understand how people running for office only turn in like 2,000, if, if, the, if it's 2,000 signatures to get you on the ballot, you're allowed to turn in 4,000. Why you wouldn't turn in three or 4,000 is absolutely beyond me because what happens is inevitably some of these signatures are going to get struck down. We may very well have had a new county executive or at least a different county executive if the people that were running for office I don't know, in my opinion, tended to their business and turned in way, way, way more signatures than they needed, which is what I think responsible candidates do. So I I, I lay some of this on the candidates. If Kanye West gets struck from the Wisconsin ballot, uh, you know, there, there's no excuses for showing up late. I mean, you know the signatures have to be in at 5 o'clock on August 4th. So what the heck are you doing walking into the courthouse at 5 o'clock on August 4th? I mean, you got the signatures, you get them together, get your act together, and if not turning them in, I don't know, the Friday or the Thursday before, so you have a chance to correct things if there's a problem, well, at least you, you show up at the courthouse at noon to avoid this whole issue. They didn't. Now there is this issue. My point is, if the Elections Commission decides to not allow him on the ballot, again, I really don't think it's it's going to make much difference one way or the other. But if they do decide to not allow him on the ballot, they are setting a precedent. And from here on in, I think the rule they are saying is if candidates have technical failures – and that, in this case, again, I think showing up 30 seconds or a minute late is, is a technical failure, but it is, in the, literally, it is a failure if they showed up after 5 o'clock. If that's now how we're going to start interpreting things and striking people off the ballot, fine. That, that's okay. I'm cool with that. But we now have to apply it to all races moving forward, not, in this case, just a presidential race where you clearly have both political parties that are trying to sort of game the system for what is obviously a fringe candidate. I don't know what the Elections Commission is going to do. I I don't necessarily think they'd be wrong if they go in either direction, but they do set a precedent. We'll probably know later today. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to our celebration of Jeff Wagner's 25-year career at WTMJ.